everybody. Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode. I uh, haven't done one of these in a while. It's been, uh, for the last several weeks, it's been full-on episodes as we talk about as we talked about movies that uh, would be nominated for Oscars, or at least were somehow in the running. Uh, so I wanted to say thanks to Robert and Reed for stepping in. But we are firmly in Oscar season, which means we're going to be, uh, for the next couple of weeks, talking about some of the uh, best pictures of the 1950s. Uh, today we'll be talking about the best picture of 1955, Delbert Mann's Marty, which, uh, fun fact, uh, so I'm in a TV history class right now, and one of the things that we watched our first week was the TV version of Marty, uh, written by Patty Chayefsky, and starring, uh, uh, among others, as Marty, uh, starred uh, Rod Steiger. So I'll talk about that in a moment, but it definitely put me in the mood to talk about Marty in general, but I'm not going to do it alone. I need to bring in a, a guy whose voice you haven't heard in a while, at least uh, five or six weeks, I'd say. Uh, and that is our best friend, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hey there. All right. Are you everyone's exci- best friend? Are you excited by Oscar season? Are you, do you have Oscar fever? I, there, there's a, a cool chill in the air. Of excitement. Don't you patronize me. What? Uh, so... I was just talking about that cool chill. So which uh, which Oscar nominees have you seen? Which Best Picture nominees? Oh, man, not enough. I've seen... Uh, I don't have the list in front of me. Well, let's see here. Let's see if we can remember them. I, was, I had a hard time the other day. You got your La La Land. I saw that. You got your Moonlight. I saw that. Got your Manchester by the Sea. Nope. You got Lion. Nope. Hidden Figures. Nope. Fences. Nope. Hell or High Water? Nope. Arrival? Yes. And another one that... Deadpool. Deadpool. <laughs> that's the one. There was talk of, of Deadpool getting nominated for something, but thankfully cooler heads prevailed, <laughs> uh, and they probably nominated something that uh, I should be more aware of. Oh, I said Lion, I said Hidden Figures, and I said Moonlight. Those are the ones I haven't seen. So it's something I've seen. Um, really? Shoot. Eight out of nine. That's what I got. Eight out of nine ain't bad. It's not bad. Um, but ever since they ever since they moved up from five, this has been a, a I know, problem it's really, for me. It's, it's tricky to keep track of. I'll see if I can find them. So uh, I, I think um, I totally lost my train of thought. I okay, that's I was going to say. About um, the nominations. Yeah, and, and uh, we will be... When the when the winner is announced, you and I will do another one of these for the most recent winner, which I think is probably going to be La La Land. That seems to be the probably. conventional wisdom. I just remembered what I was going to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> I forgot it again. No, no, that's what it was. Um, <laughs> Get with the program. Stop well, looking try- at your phone. No, I'm trying to find the list of the nominees so we oh, can okay. remember. But uh, I was going to say how... I did see some post, some article online that was like Oscar snubs and the picture they had chosen was a picture of dead. Of course. Of course. Well, that's, they need to, they need to go with a movie that everybody, uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw Ridge just found it. Bam. Cause you, I was about to you say, you caught it just in time. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say a movie that everyone saw and that got me thinking about box office. And then I thought, well, what's the highest box office of the nominees? And I thought, Oh, Hacksaw Ridge. Probably. Is that really the highest I don't, don't know, know if that's actually true, but it... I feel it, like La La Land's got to be up there. Probably La La Land, Arrival, and Hacksaw Ridge are the, are the biggest grocers, but I think Hacksaw Ridge made easily like $150 million. Really? Um, 
Man. Have you seen a Hacksaw Ridge? I haven't. I saw that one. Yeah, you haven't seen a bunch of them. I know. Usually I've seen more of them by this time. But Go like, with the program. I know. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully if we're able to record these in, uh, in a short enough amount of time, which I'm going to guess we won't uh, <laughs> based on the time we've wasted so far, but I'm going to try and go see a movie directly after this. It will either be mm-hmm. The Founder, okay. which I'm actually curious about. I am too. And, uh, or Lion. Okay. which would achieve more, but I'm yeah. more interested in the founder <laughs> because I'm interested to see what the director of the blind side and, um, and, uh, saving Mr. Banks. Uh-huh. I'm interested to see what he would do with cynical material. Yeah, me too. Um, but, uh, but we'll, Could be a good we'll movie. and I always enjoy Michael Keaton. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same writer as, uh, the wrestler and big fan, yeah, I, I believe. And that. so, that kind of that intrigues me because I don't associate these two things, and so I want to see how how yeah. it works. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We are here to talk about Marty, Best Picture, nineteen fifty five, winner of Picture, Director, Best Actor, and Best Screenplay. Uh, in this case, adapted screenplay. Patty Chayefsky adapted his own teleplay into um, into a film. So the TV movie was first. TV movie was first, and it was only an hour. The movie is 90 minutes, but the same things happen. Huh. I think they, I think he develops the, 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 I haven't seen the film Marty in a while. Yeah. Neither um, have I. but when I watched the TV version, I was like, okay, they're really truncating, uh, Marty's evening with this woman. Oh, I see. Uh, and then I thought, oh no, okay, he needed to fill time. And if we're going to believe that this is a relationship that Marty sees a future in, mm-hmm. then we're going to have to spend more time with that. And so I think that's what part uh, what Patty Chayefsky did is really devote more time to it. Cause again, as I was watching the, the TV movie, I thought like this feels short yeah. and this particular moment that feels short. That's gotta be the only time that that's ever happened in the history of the Oscars. I can't think of something where there was a TV movie. Then the film based on it went to win an Academy award to win an Academy award. Yeah. Not to my knowledge. I know that 12 angry men was based on a TV, oh, yeah. uh, uh show um because that's the thing is they were doing like live tv and so much of it seemed inherently theatrical yeah i you know i i know that 12 ringerman has gone on to be uh, to become a play and i think marty has as well but i think they both had their their roots in tv first hmm. um this tv history class has actually been very very fascinating along those lines yeah that's really interesting and i wonder if as we go back maybe we'll see more cases where something like that happened because i'd that seems very strange to me, but I guess it's not too out of the ordinary. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I mean, we certainly, if nothing else, I, we've de- definitely seen plenty of movies uh, that have been based on like in like TV shows. Maybe not a TV movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, The Fugitive was nominated for Best Picture in 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there was. Uh, uh, let's see. <laughs> Beverly Hillbillies. Uh, yeah, I was going to think like, what's one that couldn't possibly, Oh, that's one. return to Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's, a, that was with the original cast. I yeah, mean, like, yeah. you know, Beverly Hillbillies, they didn't get uh, buddy Ebsen or anything like that. Uh, they sure. Didn't. Were you a Beverly Hillbillies fan or was that too dumb even for you? No, I, I watched it, but I didn't, I didn't like it as much as some of the other ones. <laughs> like Jeff Green. <laughs> <laughs> we really need to spend more time. I wish you were taking this TV history class. I, although, I'm sure I'd enjoy it. You know, unsurprisingly, and I don't just say, say this in a necessarily negative way. It's interesting, but um, 
it's interesting taking this t- taking the TV history class and then TAing for a film history class. Hmm. One is an undergrad class, one is a grad student class. Hmm. And the difference seems to be that undergrads learn about artistic quality and artist and and uh, uh, technical development of a certain medium. Hmm. Graduate students learn all about the socio political elements of this thing, hmm. which can be tiresome. Yeah, because frankly, I it's interesting. Don't get me wrong, but I would also like to learn about the technical development of television and the artistic. And, and the the evolution of artistic sensibilities yeah. in television, but instead we're learning all about like depictions of gender and depictions of class and depictions of race, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. But I would like it mixed with the other stuff as well. Right, and you, it doesn't seem like they're gonna go there at some point. We're about we're three weeks in, and based on the readings that we're gonna do that we're gonna talk about next week, I'm gonna say no. Yeah. Uh, well, I could see there being early on there not being as many technological changes to to talk about or developments technological no but i but feel artistic. like art, artistic yeah, yeah absolutely because people were, we have you know we we did read like the first week we read stuff about you know what networks trying to figure out what this could be you know right, immediately right. they're like okay well let's just have the radio model uh like they could be filmed plays no that's not gonna work it just there, there was some guess and check which was interesting but it, it jumped almost immediately to you know socio-political mm-hmm. stuff and which is again i keep saying it's interesting i don't mean to imply that i have no use for that you know, you're, you want to contextualize things, but at yeah. the same time, you know, uh, it's, it gets to be exhausting after a while. So that's neither here nor there. Uh, the film Marty, I, I have a hard time not comparing the two, but I will say that the film is vastly superior. Really? Um, nothing against the TV show. First off, it was very low budget. It definitely felt stagey and all that sort of thing. But also I think when it comes right down to it, I am a huge Rod Steiger fan. No, really. I think he's a marvelous actor. I love the pawnbroker. I love in the heat of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think he's great in, um, Dr. Zhivago. He's just an actor. I, and, and on the waterfront, which we'll talk about next week. Um, I think he's a marvelous actor. However, when he is playing Marty, there's just something about his choices as an actor, and maybe just his persona as an actor. Marty is remarkably unlikable. Part of the appeal of, of Marty, I mean, maybe the primary appeal of Marty is that he's a regular guy. Yeah. Like, he's very relatable. And it seems like, from the roles that I've seen Rod Steiger in, he tends to play things with a little bit more of an edge, like kind of sure. more of a roughneck. And I think it's harder to make that character seem like your average, friendly neighborhood butcher. And also, Rod Steiger, as an actor, I think, even when he's playing, you know, Bill Gillespie from uh, In the Heat of the Night, which is, you know, this kind of, uh, he lives in a podunk town and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, he's kind of racist and all that. Rod Steiger exudes intelligence. Hmm. Even, Even Bill Gillespie seems like the smartest guy in town. Yeah. And... Marty, he's not dumb, but I would say there's a simplicity to him right. that I think Ernest Borgnine captures. Yeah. Not to imply that Ernest Borgnine is dumb, no. but he definitely seems like a working a working man. Yes, he definitely does, and I think that's like that seems like a much better casting. And honestly, maybe the filmmakers knew that because if they felt like Rod Steiger was the guy to be Marty, they would have brought him back. Yeah, it's, and it, how, how long before the film did the TV one come out. I don't know exactly. A couple years, maybe. So it was close together. So it's not as if it's a remake years later and they can't pick the same people. They easily could have 
chosen the same yeah. people but chose not to well and rod steiger had just been nominated for an oscar the year before for yeah. on the waterfront like so he was somebody that people knew about right since the tv show uh but i think they they i don't know maybe maybe patty chayevsky took uh, more of a role in it and and just thought that this guy is more what i had in mind yeah um it is a when i think of patty chayevsky as a writer I obviously think of network first, Mm -hmm. then I think of the hospital Mm -hmm. and then a distant third is Marty. Hmm. Um, and I think because they are so different. Oh yeah. Never would I have assumed that the hyper literacy of the network, the writer of network would be able to so effectively capture, uh, the, a working class mindset Hmm. and have characters who, yeah, they're they're prone to monologuing, but it's very simple, casual, conversational dialogue. Yeah. You'd never say that Howard Beale or even um, uh, Diana Christensen, the Faye Dunaway character, you'd never say that they're conversational in their monologues. Everything's a big presentation. Same with the hospital. Um, so it's so strange to me that, that uh, Patty Chayefsky would have started in such a specific every man kind of way. Uh, it reminds me of Mammoth in that way. If you, while you get sort of the Mammoth speak in American Buffalo and Glengarry Glen Ross compared to like Spartan or the stuff that he made in the, in the mid nineties, his, you know, his, his plays seem like the height of normal run of the mill dialogue. Uh, and so I, but the screenplay for Marty is uh, astonishing. It's, he manages to, I guess you could look, call it almost like the poetry of the streets, you know, the poetry of mm-hmm. the, of the, the working class guy. And yeah, it's, it really is a, a marvelous script. And I totally understand why, why it won the Oscar for it that year. Um, so, and it's, and it's directed in a way that is just very, that's very straightforward. Um, if I remember the film correctly, and I think I do, there's no, not a lot of flourishes. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it reminds me of like the apartment in that way. Yeah, where yeah. It's just very straightforward and it takes its cues emotionally from the character of Marty and from mm-hmm. Borgnine's performance. Um, but yeah, and, and, Speaking of Ernest Borgnine, I, I seem to recall that there, I've said this before, either on this show or on another, but like, I, I'm glad that I live in a world where Ernest Borgnine won Best Actor. <laughs> Do you know what I, I know. mean? Yeah, 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 because he doesn't seem like, uh, he doesn't seem like that type. Like, yeah. he, he's the type of one that you would say, he's not leading man material, right. but that's part of the reason they chose him for this. Cause he doesn't yeah. seem like that. And that there's so much about this. That's like an anti, uh, anti spectacle movie. If sure. That makes sense. And that like, the, the, it seems like the parody of this kind of thing would be when they remake something and they choose like super attractive people to play the sure. real life people. And yeah, that's, that's like a, Hollywood joke they make like yeah. a, a trope they make in Hollywood movies um, but uh, but yeah he, there's something so regular guy about him and mm-hmm. he knows how to play that and yeah. um, it's not even that he's an actor who can only do that sort of thing like he does have quite a range yeah um, but it's it's I don't know there's something there's something that I like a lot about this kind of actor playing this part kind of role and getting a 
and an Oscar for the. He doesn't play him as too introspective. It would be very easy, and I think honestly, I think Rod Steiger does a little bit. Hmm. Again, that speaks to just his natural intelligence as an actor that I feel like he can't disguise it. Hmm. Um, whereas Ernest Borgnine just plays him as a guy who is aware that he is lonely. Yeah, he is aware that he's not very happy. Mm-hmm. And and I guess the film, I guess we're following it only like a, a day or two, really, in, mm-hmm. in his life. Um, and we are watching him be aware of that, but also come to realize how to alleviate it. You know, I made the comparison to The Apartment earlier, and while The Apartment, I think, is more ambitious, the... The type of char- the type of protagonist that we have is such a rare, such a rare type that you will see in a winner of Best Picture, mm-hmm. and that it's just a normal guy who doesn't have, you know, any big moments of introspection. And Marty does have moments where he talks about how he's just this ugly fat man and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's in very plain terms, yeah. And it, it's a climactic moment, certainly. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, but yeah, it, it reminds me of, of that film in a lot of ways. Yeah. And that, I feel like it takes a lot of talent to play a character who, like who knows that he doesn't know everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he, he has limitations and he doesn't understand those limitations to the degree that he can try and grow beyond them. Yeah. But he does still know that he has those limitations. Yeah. You don't see the character. I mean, that's the thing. You, you see characters like Forrest Gump. Who has, who has a, a, a disability, um, whereas just a, a normal person who is who is undoubtedly frustrated by his own limit, his own even mental limitations. Right. Um, and again, not to imply that there is that Marty has a learning disability or anything like yeah. that. He's just a simple guy from a simple family, and nothing about his life requires that he that he elevate himself out of right. that, except relationally, mm-hmm. and. And so in a way you really do, he has a very clear arc. He goes from a guy who has, who has issues, he's lonely and has been in a rut his whole life. And then finally sees a reason to get out of the rut and gets himself out of it. Mm. He is faced with the possibility there at the end of just giving into his friends, talking about this dog that he spent the evening with and all that. Um, and just giving into this pressure to just stay in his sort of, lowly position romantically mm-hmm. for fear of his friends making fun of him, but eventually recognizes that, that he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to settle right. for loneliness, uh, and being with his dumb friends. And yeah. so he takes this stand. It's a very noble, but very simple gesture. Yeah. And in standing up for somebody else's, um, uh, let's say unremarkableness. Mm. He stands up for himself in a way too. Cause yes. he says it's, it's okay to be this. I don't have to be something better than, yeah. uh, I, I don't have to hold myself to the, to an unrealistic standard that other people yeah. hold. Uh, you know, I, I would defend her the same way that now I can defend myself. It's interesting. It is such an anti Hollywood movie. It really Every, is. Everything about it is just such a, such an anomaly. Um, you know, and while while the Oscars were the year before uh, trying to embrace a certain degree of like working class hero, uh, on the waterfront is so much more dramatic and so much more Hollywood. It's got yeah. you know, smoldering Marlon Brando in the yeah. lead, and then the year after you've got Around the World in Eighty Days, which is just this big <laughs> spectacle. Pure spectacle. Yeah, this is just this little. Uh, 
I have a hard time thinking even something like Kramer versus Kramer is about divorce. It's about an issue. Mm -hmm. And while I think it keeps it pretty small in its scope, Marty is, I can't think of another one that we've talked about that is like that. Can you? For some reason in thinking of recent ones, this isn't a perfect comparison by any means, but I think a little bit of the hurt locker. Sure. In but there's still the war thing. The, yeah, there's still kind of an, uh, a big, you yeah. know, a big element to it. I can think of other films that have been nominated. Sure, like It's not unusual to have your indie darling film get nominated that's more about just kind of regular people. Maybe something like Manchester by the Sea sure. this year is, is comparable. Although yeah. even that is like a... Uh, um, ordinary people yeah sort of thing maybe something like a winter's bone or something like that yeah. and even then it's taking and sort it's, of a crime story yeah, and, and going at it from a different angle it. it really is difficult to do if i mean if they had embraced like the visitor which yeah. still has the immigration issue. Yeah, like that's, no, it's, it's true. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, how many of the of films that are, have even been nominated mm-hmm. are, a, are about something. Marty could be seen almost in that Seinfeld way as like, it's a movie about nothing, yeah. but in being about nothing, it winds up being about everybody, right. which is kind of a, a astounding. Yeah. And a film that honestly, I feel like could be remade with the same script and you find an actor that I, and I think there are a number of actors like character oh, yeah. actors. Um, you know, you could have somebody like a, almost a Paul Giamatti, but he might be a little bit too old at this point. Mm-hmm. But somebody like, you know, because the character is a larger guy, so you could, I feel like you could get maybe like a Jonah Hill. Um, mm-hmm. But, and just have a, a love story between two people that are not conventionally attractive and are in no way glamorous, mm-hmm. and the film is championing that. Like, that yeah. would be very refreshing now, um, maybe even more so than it was then. So looking at the the other... So the film was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Cinematography, and Best Art Direction. Um, the other Best Picture nominees are Love is a Many Splendored Thing, Mr. Roberts, Picnic, and The Rose Tattoo. I have seen Mr. Roberts, which I did not like that much. Now, I thought it was a fine movie. Um, I think my actually my biggest problem with it is the Jack Lemmon character. I don't, I don't care for that type of Jack Lemmon. I think I like... I like Jack Lemmon, who is sad but trying to be upbeat, uh-huh. like a, a certain tragic Jack Lemmon. But is this, this is like, like manic crazy. This is silly Jack Lemmon, yeah, which, which I tend not to care for. I, I have not seen any of these movies. Okay, so. yeah, I don't know anything about the Rose Tattoo. I don't really know anything about Picnic. I know a little bit about Love Is a Many Splendored Thing, but yeah, it's. Uh, as we go back further, we're going to get more of these where I've seen yeah. either one or none of the best picture nominees. Now that's not to say that I had that 1955 yielded no interesting movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all that heaven allows. I'm a big fan of bad day at black rock, blackboard jungle, the desperate hours, diabolique east of Eden, which I actually haven't seen kiss that's, me deadly. I'm a big that. fan of haven't seen that. You haven't seen Kiss Me Deadly? No. Oh, boy. Every every noir fan That's should watch it. One, right? it's, yeah. it's one of the tougher ones, actually. Yeah. Um, there's The Man from Laramie, which is a really great Western. Haven't seen uh, that. The Man with the Golden Arm. Uh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> got an Orson Welles film, Mr. Arcaden. You haven't, haven't seen, seen Mr. Arcaden? Oh, boy. No, I know. There's Night and Fog, which I haven't seen. I assume you've seen I it. I haven't seen that. That surprises me. Night of the Wait. Hunter, which we'll get back to in a moment. Now that, yeah, that I've seen. Uh, Oklahoma. There's that. an exclamation point there. All <laughs> the these end. other ones I've seen. I made um, it to Oklahoma. And uh, Rod Steiger was in Oklahoma, actually. Um, is he Judd? He is Judd. Really? And I believe I he's the only that. actor that does his own singing. 
Really? That film. Yeah. <laughs> of all the people. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I could see him not putting up with the idea of their saying, we'll bring in a, a voice actor, uh, 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 another singer. And he goes, no, I don't think so. I'm Rod Steiger, and I'm genuine, if nothing else. If I sing poorly, so be it. Judd sings poorly. Um, and then there's, and I'm never great with the pronunciation here. What do you got? Uh, Pather Panchali? Yeah. Yeah. Which I've seen, which I have seen. I saw in that, film school. It's that's the first time. one, right? That's, yeah. uh, that's the first the one in the Apu tr- trilogy, right? The American name is... Uh, I forget. Yeah, I don't recall. Um, but that's those are great. I yeah. I love that series. And the first one might be my favorite one, although I've only seen the third one once. And I need to see it again. I have only seen this one, and I remember loving it. Um, but then we also have Rebel Without a Cause. We have Richard the Third, which is the um, the uh, that's Lawrence the, uh, Olivier, which I've seen that. Uh, Without a Cause. I get. I'm getting better at this end here. I saw Rafifi. Yeah, Rafifi. I saw the Seven Year Itch. Saw uh, To Catch a Thief. I've seen Summertime. It's a David Lean film. I haven't seen that one. Um, it's good. I don't love it, but it's good. Um, so yeah, uh, as tends to happen. Um, let me let me put this out there as a po- as as an idea. You know, there are the movies that have stuck around from, mm-hmm. from let's say, this year, and then we'll talk about next one as well. Um, I find the films that tend to to remain in the public consciousness from this era or movies that are maybe 50, 60 years old, they almost tend, almost always tend to be genre films. Like, you don't mm-hmm. get a whole lot. I mean, I mean, you've got Marty, but you don't really get a lot of just dramas, or, or you get melodrama with something like all the all that heaven allows, but that yeah. just comes with a, an appreciation of Douglas Sirk. But mm-hmm. I just find like you don't get a whole lot of comedies, and I feel like you don't get a lot of dramas. You'll get a lot of noir, you'll get westerns, you'll get you know crime pictures, and maybe you know science fiction horror or something like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe genre, maybe certain genres that aren't that you don't see much anymore. I feel like those are what people will remember yeah because it's it's so different than what we have now maybe maybe because it's something that yeah we we don't we definitely don't do westerns the same way don't do noir the same way a lot of that stuff is kind of uh is maybe exciting like an antique almost yeah you know how antiques are exciting Uh, sure they can be i think right (laughs) um to to some people certainly um but yeah i can see that and at the same time it's harder for comedy to wear well. Yeah, that's true. Comedy always requires a certain sense of what is expected. Yeah. Because a lot of comedy is about subverting expectations and what's expected in the fifties is different than what's expected now, which is why, for instance, even though I I very much enjoy a film like, uh, like, uh, some like it hot men dressing as women is a lot funnier in the fifties than it is today. Yeah. To me, the thing that has aged the best is when Tony Curtis is essentially being Cary Grant. Yeah. Because there's a timelessness to that. Yeah. That, I like that as a film fan. Mm-hmm. Whereas men dressing as women is like, well, I saw that when I was younger and Mrs. Doubtfire. And, and Bosom Buddies. And Bosom Buddies, obviously. And <laughs> and I think there's no better way, no better film than Tootsie that does that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of Something Like It Hot. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish I were, because uh, everybody else seems to be. <laughs> but... Um, 
So let's let's talk about uh, some of these other films. There's there's some great movies here, but I, I do think that ultimately, uh, Night of the Hunter, which was it's not like it was even in the in the running at oh, the no. time. It was a big flop. Yeah, I think a lot of critics didn't even know how to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it scared Charles Lawton away from ever directing another movie. Yeah, which is a um, shame. Which is a shame. Can you imagine if yeah. he if he directed like five movies yeah. with this sensibility? Although, what if all what if, what if all the others were terrible? <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> so that's be, always possible. We'll never know. Yeah, he just he used it he all used up. everything up. Yeah, um, but if you're going to use it all up in one movie, I mean, yeah, this is the one. Yeah, um, yeah. Night of the Hunter is uh, we've we've done. Uh, we've talked about, we, we talked about show, it before, yeah. but I think that is just such a, such an astonishing film. And I think if, if people were to make a, if people to do a retrospective Oscars of this year, mm-hmm. I think night of the hunter would, would play into probably the, the nominees. What's weird too, is we talk about ones that have stood the test of time or, or, you know, become classics over time. I feel like 20 years ago, this was not the movie that it is now. Night of the hunter. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'll say, I mean, I've, I've, I looked at movie books from 20 years ago um, that said like, these are the best movies of all time. And night of the hunter often played into it. Hmm. Um, But it was often, it often played into it in the way of, Hey, here's a, here's a masterpiece that nobody saw. Exactly. It feels like it was that for a long time. And I feel like within the last five to 10 years, it's become one that everybody knows and everybody it's become kind of essential viewing. Whereas it used to be kind of this hidden gem, I think. 20 years ago. I think not unlike safety last, which has this cultural image of this bespectacled guy hanging off a clock. And even if people don't know who the guy is and they don't know what safety last is or anything from that period, they've seen that. And and in the same way, love and a hate. preacher with love and hate on his knuckles yeah. or just the love and hate thing. I mean, that's, they parody it or I guess uh, reference it and yeah. uh, do the right thing. Yeah. And so I, it does seem, that seems to be what, what struck a uh, larger culture. And even then, you know, you don't have normal, you don't have the normies talking about night of the hunter in the same way they would talk about the Godfather or Casablanca sure. or something like that. And I don't think it's, it's permeated culture to, the, to that degree, but yes, I do think that, that film culture and just people of a certain age, uh, it's not like they discovered it. I mean, people like Roger Ebert have been cha- right. have been championing it for a long yeah. time, but, but it's, it's part of the conversation now. Like if you have, yeah. if you have people talking about some of the best movies of all time, it might be in the running. Mm-hmm. It probably wouldn't be in the running for best director of all time because how can you know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, and I, I feel like that's kind of awesome because it's a film that I think can, would continue to confound people. You know, um, yeah. if I were to, if we were to watch it in my film history class, which is full of you know eighteen and nineteen year old non film students, uh, I think they would be angry <laughs> at it. Um, <laughs> you think so? I think so. Yes. Uh, so, you know, for my money, I would say that I, I would I would love to if Night of the Hunter had been nominated and, and if it had won, but you know. Speaking of, we're talking about movies that stand the test of time. People aren't really talking about Marty, but I think anybody could watch it at any time and relate to it. Yeah. No, I think it's still very relatable. And that's similarly in the way that I said the comedy doesn't wear well. I think drama could kind of be the same thing. Yeah. I think some of the ones even that we call melodrama now would not have been considered melodrama yeah. then. Like Rebel Without a Cause is probably a good example. Yeah. That was seen as, I think, you know, just, uh, just the height of realistic drama. Yeah. Um, and that's just because, you know, times and cultures yeah. and expectations change. Um, but th- 
something about Marty is more universal and, and maybe it's the simplicity of it that makes it that. And, you know, when, because a lot of people will credit your, uh, you know, like a James Dean, uh, Montgomery Clift and Marlon Brando with, you know, changing the way acting was, you know, film acting, especially for men, the way it was, it was done. And it's understandable. It definitely went from a one kind of stylized to, in my opinion, a different kind of stylized, mm-hmm. even though people thought it was more naturalistic. But to me, Ernest Borgnine and Marty blows them all away as far as naturalism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look at James Dean in in uh, rebel without a cause yeah. versus Ernest Borgnine and Marty. And you have a world of difference because yeah. it's still a young, smoldering, good looking guy versus someone that anybody that, you know, yeah, just a guy who lives down the street. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of awesome. Uh, I was excited to get to this year, especially mm. how, seeing the TV movie because it's just, uh, it is, it, it truly is an anomaly that I can't really think of. And I'm sure if, if press and if I had a list in front of me uh, and I could call it to mind, I could, I might be able to think of something that, that qualifies, but but yeah, uh, and I don't know anybody that speaks poorly of Marty. There are movie, there are best pictures that people, or and just movies from the past that people are like, ah, it's overrated. I don't know anybody that has seen Marty that would ever say it's anything other than great, um, and and oddly inspired in its in its lack of ambition, um, which could actually one could say that in its lack of ambition, it's being quite ambitious. So um, so yeah, listeners, uh, check it out. You know, uh, I'll end this the way that we usually do, which is if someone said, Hey, I was thinking of watching Marty, I'd say a definitive. Yes. Yeah. I'd and say I definitely, would, I'd recommend it. And I'd recommend it to people that weren't interested yeah, um, or weren't aware of it. I'd say, Oh, you should check this movie out. I think you'd like it. Yeah. No, um, definitely. I think it's, I think it's a movie that actors should see as well. And writers. Yeah. No, um, it's good. Wonderfully written, wonderfully acted. So Marty best picture in 1955 has the more than one lesson. Mini sewed seal of approval. Josh is giving a thumbs up one thumb up. Yeah, well, he's holding the mic with the other hand. Oh, if I, if, um, yeah, I, I would only put one thumb up because that's how my system works. It's oh, either okay. one thumb up, one thumb three quarters of the way up, or one thumb down. <laughs> or just making a fist. Yeah. No thumbs at all. Fist of anger. Oh, sure. Absolutely. What gets a fist of anger? Um, I was going to say the English patient, but that gets three fists. Oh, anger, my gosh. So it's a very complicated You grow system. a third arm so that you can make that third fist. That's quite a thing. Uh, okay, that's ridiculous. And so it's time for us to end when we get ridiculous. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.